listening to Wake Up and Read the Labels, your guide to eating simple and feeling good. If you want to eat clean and feel your best, guess what? You're in the right place. Each week, we talk about ingredients that may be holding you back from feeling your best. We also talk to some brands that are going against the grain and actually using real ingredients we can recognize. Plus, we're sharing stories with people who are just like you, who actually woke up and read the labels. Welcome to Wake Up and Read the Labels podcast. Today, we're going to be diving into your blood sugar. We're going to be discussing exactly what your blood sugar is, why you should be monitoring it, how it impacts our health. Today, I'm going to be welcoming Danielle Hamilton, who's a functional nutritional therapy practitioner who specializes in this exact topic, blood sugar regulation and digestion. You see, she became interested in the blood sugar issues when she learned that insulin resistance was the root cause of her PCOS. I'm under the impression that she reversed her PCOS, her cystic acne, PMS, and weight loss resistance by just reversing insulin resistance. So, Danielle, what's up? Hey, I'm so excited to be here, Jen. Of course. You had PCOS. I used to have it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's something that you can get rid of? Yeah, I have no symptoms of it. So I don't have it. It's just, you know, a collection of symptoms. It's a hormonal imbalance. And I didn't realize, but it took me years, but I finally figured out that my blood sugar and insulin were at the root of it. And I, I mean, I tried for years to address my progesterone and my testosterone and all those things. And I made no dent in it. It took years of efforting. And then I finally heard that PCOS is the diabetes of the ovaries on a podcast. And I was like, oh my goodness, I think I need to be paying attention to my blood sugar. And it was a topic that I had always glazed over because frankly, it was hard to understand. I had no interest in trying to figure it out. And I was like, well, I don't have diabetes. I don't have to pay attention to this. And what I didn't realize was that not only was my blood sugar impacting my health, but I was really sort of on the beginning of the spectrum. And I didn't even know what the symptoms of diabetes were, which are sort of at the end of that spectrum, type two diabetes. So I definitely didn't know the early signs of blood sugar dysregulation. And I didn't know that it wasn't like an on and off switch, like type one diabetes, the autoimmune condition, that one is sort of like that on off switch. It's like you have it or you don't. But that's not the case with type 2 diabetes. We sort of get this blood sugar dysregulation, insulin resistance. It starts brewing for years and years and years and decades. And then finally, once our blood sugar hits a certain number, that's when the doctor is concerned about it. But we can be having these issues for decades before a doctor takes notice of them. And by then, it's already been progressed. And so the cool thing is, is that no matter where you are on this spectrum of type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, metabolic health, you can reverse your trend on that spectrum, go back to optimal blood sugar. And the earlier you catch it, the better. So I like to bring awareness to this and help people identify these early signs of blood sugar dysregulation because they can be really pervasive and also hard to nail down because they're not very specific. Our blood sugar impacts every single cell, organ, and process in our body. So the symptoms of blood sugar issues are sort of very widespread and seemingly like not connected at all. So it could be hard to pin down. 
Yeah. So tell me, when you were getting symptoms of PCOS, had you already been a functional nutritional therapy practitioner? No. I guess a really quick version of my story is that I was always a really sickly kid, lots of ear infections, tons of antibiotics, got a strep throat six times my senior year of high school, got my tonsils out, got allergies and asthma really badly the next year. It started getting worse. I moved to Miami, Florida. I was allergic to everything. I was even allergic to palm trees. (laughs) Then I was getting allergy shots. I had multiple medications and inhalers and all the like five shots because I was allergic to so many things and I was really struggling. I had chronic sinus infections. I was a hot mess. This was my early twenties. And so I, I went to the doctors. They couldn't help me at all. I said, why is this happening? No one had any answers for me. They just kind of told me it was genetics or it was bad luck. And I just didn't, that answer didn't sit well with me. So I was, I kept asking why. And I started to learn about health. I, found this book called The Paleo Diet Solution by Rob Wolf. I read that book and it basically flipped everything I knew on its head. And the main takeaways that I learned from that was to read labels, to switch to eating whole real foods and getting rid of these unwanted processed ingredients that were causing inflammation in my body and to just sort of flip all that advice that we had known that conventional wisdom on its head. So don't eat 11 servings of grain, you know, embrace fats and embrace healthy animal proteins and things like that. And I did that. And I, at that time I started consuming tons of podcasts and reading all that I could get my hands on. And I reversed my chronic sinus infections. I got rid of all of my acne and my eczema and my allergies and my asthma. And I didn't have to give myself any shots anymore. I got off all my medications and I was like screaming from the rooftops. I was so excited. I was like, everyone has to eat real food. This is amazing. And then I had a really stressful year. And then, so during that year, I started to develop all these sort of hormonal symptoms. And so that's when I found out I had PCOS. So I was missing my menstrual cycle for six months. I was having the worst PMS. I had PMDD. I used to break up with whoever I was dating before my cycle because I just turned into a different person. I was gaining weight. My acne came back with a vengeance, but this time it was like way worse than it had ever been. It was on my cheeks, on my forehead. It was really, really uh, intense. And that's when I found out I had PCOS. And I went to my doctor and I said, listen, I'm, I'm eating this healthy diet and I'm working out and I can't lose weight no matter what I do. And I didn't think the answer was go back to doing what I was doing. I knew real food was the answer, but I knew there had to be something that had to switch. So the doctor told me, you do have PCOS. You have to lose weight. You have to take the pill and there's no cure. <laughs> I said, all right, see you later. Thank you for that advice that I can't believe I just paid for. He forced me to take a prescription of the birth control pill. I ripped it up, got in my car and had more motivation than ever to figure out what was at the root of my PCOS. And so I continued listening to podcasts and learning. And that's when I found out the blood sugar was at the root. And that's when I went to nutritional therapy school because I figured out how to heal myself from multiple, multiple ailments. And I just knew that it was in my heart to share this information with other people because one of the biggest driving factors behind that is that I feel like we are being extremely misled and lied to. And we are, we're all out there trying to do our best. And that's why I fully support and love the work that you're putting out there because it starts with 
reading the food labels. Like we get can get so deceived. Like a mom is trying to buy healthy food for the, her kids and it says tricks are for kids. It's like, oh, perfect. I have kids, you know? And so my mom will say like, I'm so sorry. I gave you all this food that was making you sick. I'm like, mom, you were just doing what they told you to do. They told you to buy all these, you know, healthy whole grain foods and don't have fat in, you know, in the eighties and nineties. And meanwhile, we're trying our best and we're coming up short. We're getting really sick because of it. And then they don't have answers for us. The only answer is a pill. So that rage inside of me, I channel into trying to help others uncover their health issues and and heal themselves with food and, and lifestyle because it's, very possible. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's an organic story and I love it. Mine's very similar to that. But um, I'm curious, when you did nutritional therapy, did they focus on ingredients or was it that nutrition panel? No, they focused on ingredients. So one of the six pillars of optimal health that I learned in nutritional therapy school is a nutrient-dense whole foods diet. Well, actually, it was a properly prepared nutrient-dense whole foods diet. So they even said to go as far as if you're going to eat grains or legumes or nuts, that they should be soaked or sprouted or something like that. So it it went really deep. But one of the tenets was that whole foods diet. And so obviously in our modern age, it's not like like we're not going to be growing everything and picking it out of the ground and whatever. We are going to buy some packaged foods. But if we are, we're taught to really pay attention to those ingredients and to the labels and making sure that foods are in as close to the form that they come from nature. Okay. Awesome. That brings me to, I had a client, wish I could remember her name. I know her face. She's a beautiful blonde. And she came to me because she was diagnosed with PCOS and they put her on the birth control pill and they told her to lose weight. However, she was defeated. She's like, I'm at home. I'm trying, you know, I'm eating chicken and vegetables. I'm bored with this. I don't know what to do. And so I said, you know, hey, real foods for everyone. Let's just, your body does what it naturally needs to do and can heal itself when you are eating real foods. So she did it. And then within three months, I know prior to coming to me, she got an ultrasound and they showed like little, is it little white beads or little pearls on your uterus on an ultrasound? Is this right? It would be on the ovaries. Okay. Yeah. Ovaries. Mm -hmm. That's what I meant. I only know uterus because I've had children. (laughs) So on your ovaries. And then she told me when she went back three months later, those were actually gone. Could that happen? Yeah, they can shrink. Yeah. I personally have not gone back because I have a lot of lowercase t trauma about being at in the mainstream conventional medicine environment. And I mean, I did go back for an annual exam and they asked me why I had these prescriptions for continuous glucose monitors show up in my virtual chart. And I was like, oh, well, I use, uh, you know, I use them for prevention and I use them to reverse my insulin resistance and my polycystic ovarian syndrome. And the nurse was like, oh, that's wonderful. And she started whispering. She's like, I believe in nutrition, but we're not allowed to talk about that here. And unfortunately it's, well, she believes in it, but most people that are in that field don't even know. It's like really not even their fault. No, They have to focus on medicine. They can't, you know what I mean? They're focusing on how to mask the symptom as opposed to get to the root cause. Absolutely. But let's jump into exactly early signs of blood sugar dysregulation. So those listening can say, oh my gosh, this might be me. I might have this. What does that look like? 
Yeah. So our body is like, it's built like a hybrid car. So we can use multiple fuel sources. So we should be able to use energy from sugar. And we should also be able to use energy from fats. And our body stores excess sugar as body fat. That's our energy stored for later. But a lot of us have excess body fat, but no energy. And if that's happening, usually that's a sign there's a problem accessing that energy. So when we eat carbohydrates or even protein, that sugar digests in our system and the amount of sugar in our blood rises a little bit. And that will tell our pancreas, make some insulin. Insulin is a hormone and insulin's job is to take that sugar from the blood and say, knock on the cells and say, hey, I have some sugar for you and escort that sugar into the cell, into a muscle cell, a liver cell, a heart cell, a brain cell, so it can make energy. So that's the job of insulin and glucose. So insulin's job is to lower glucose, right? So it's this hormone that lowers glucose because it's now putting it into the cells of the body. That's important to understand, Mm -hmm. try to make it as basic as possible. So when we're eating foods that spike our blood sugar, what happens is that we get this rise in blood sugar and then that spike of insulin. And the faster or higher that spike of blood sugar, the more insulin we're going to get. And more often than not, that big spike of insulin is going to tank our blood sugar. Now it's putting away all this blood sugar into the cells. And so now we don't have a lot left in our tank. We don't have a lot left in the blood. And so the body will start to send you signs of low energy because the energy that it has available is really low. So now it's almost like the gaslight comes on in the car. And so you get these symptoms. Usually they start at your hunger, like when you're supposed to be eating. So at meal times or like a little bit before meal times, and we might start to feel things like feel dizzy, shaky, anxious, have headaches, dizziness, brain fog, feeling weak, feeling tired, heart palpitations, headaches, and anxiety is a really big one. And then cravings and feeling hangry. You feel this like urgent hunger. And so these are all signs that your blood sugar is going down, but your body didn't switch into this fat burning mode. It wasn't able to access the stored sugar that's in your liver. It wasn't able to access the stored body fat usually because there's too much insulin in the blood. Insulin is that hormone that sends a strong message to the body to be storing. And so it blocks the body from burning fat So and using this fat as energy. So as the blood sugar is going down, we start to get all these symptoms. And those are usually the first signs of some sort of dysregulation. And Oftentimes, like I said, they come when you're supposed to be eating, but then sometimes they can come between meals and they can sort of be just happening all the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so now those listening might say, okay, I'm some of those. Those are me. I think I have this. Mm -hmm. And I think I've been having this for a very long time. Mm -hmm. What are these later signs and consequences of the prolonged blood sugar dysregulation? Yeah. So as this progresses over time, we start to see at first, there's a lot of brain symptoms, right? So the things like brain fog, difficulty concentrating, weakness, shakiness, dizziness, anxiety, a lot of symptoms in the brain. And this is what's happening when the brain isn't getting energy. So it's sending you those signs to say, hey, please pull over at Starbucks and go get me something. Oh yeah. Those symptoms are not saying, hey, why don't you go home and cook this beautiful grass-fed steak and get some organic local broccoli? No, it's not going to tell you that. You're going to want to get something quickly. 
So unfortunately, if you give in to that, which is, tip, you know, we have foods of convenience all over the place, which people probably do. We just go to the, the break room, grab a muffin, grab the granola bar we brought in our purse for just such an occasion. And then we spike our blood sugar again. So we get more of these spikes and over and over and over again. And the insulin in the blood starts building up and building up and building up. And then what happens is we can just get these sort of like full body issues. And so we can start from head to toe and we can start from our head and go to our toes basically and look at every single organ and issue on our body and see that prolonged blood sugar spikes, high blood sugar levels and high insulin levels can drive certain issues. So with the brain, if we have prolonged issues there with our blood sugar and insulin, we'll start to see cognitive decline. We'll start to see maybe a little bit of anxiety turn into like a full-blown anxiety diagnosis. A headache might turn into migraines. And we also know that Alzheimer's is being called type three diabetes. Mm -hmm. So we see that insulin resistance of the brain where the glucose can't get in. So that's affecting there. We know that with our eyes, macular degeneration is the leading cause of blindness and macular degeneration is most common in people with type 2 diabetes because it affects those really small blood vessels. We know that sugar affects our dental health a lot. So we can see gum disease, we can see cavities, our skin health. So obviously I was talking my own story. My acne stopped when I stopped spiking my blood sugar, but we can also see other skin conditions that are exacerbated by high blood sugar, which are things like eczema, psoriasis. And then we can start to see some of the darkening of the skin folds, like by the neck and in the groin and the armpits. And that's called acanthosis nigricans. And that's very common with insulin resistance, also skin tags. So there's a lot of skin issues possible with the heart. We know that insulin resistance is the leading cause of hypertension. It's type two diabetes and insulin resistance drives heart disease. It also high sugar intake also depletes us of minerals. So every molecule of sugar requires 56 molecules of magnesium to be processed. And magnesium is a mineral that relaxes our muscles. So if we have imbalances and deficiencies there, which are very, very common with insulin resistance, mm -hmm. we can start to see a lot of arrhythmias show up because the heart has trouble with the contract and the relaxing of the muscle. Then we know that with our gut, right, we know that sugar will cause the overgrowth of bad bacteria and candida and yeasts in our gut. We see it affect our liver in the case of these rising rates of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. We see it impact our pancreas because that is the organ that is producing insulin. So in advanced type 2 diabetics, the pancreas kind of starts to give out. With the gallbladder, insulin resistance drives poor gallbladder function, then we can't digest our fats as well. So we might end up with a lot of issues like constipation or diarrhea or stools that are shiny or greasy that float. And then this is going to further impair our ability to digest these healthy fats that satiate us and stabilize our blood sugar. So that's a conundrum there. And then, you know, you can continue to go down the line. The adrenals are really, really impacted by blood sugar swings, these highs and lows. And then, you know, our kidneys are impacted because they have those tiny blood vessels. And so the leading cause of kidney disease 
in adults is type 2 diabetes and our reproductive organs. So we already talked about PCOS is the leading cause of infertility in women. And we can also see high blood sugar levels and insulin resistance driving hormonal imbalance and leading to infertility for males as well. And then go all the way down to the feet. We know diabetes can lead to amputations. I mean, so head to toe, this is impacting every single area of our body. And would you say, Danielle, that due to the diet that is presented to most Americans today, right? The choices, the majority of choices is correlated with this problem, number one, but also it's likely at least someone listening, but if not, a lot of people listening have blood sugar dysregulations, whether it's minor or it's major, just because of the options that we're faced up against all the time. Would you agree to that? I would 100,000% agree with that, that the standard American diet is a diet that is set up to give you (laughs) these issues because the foods that they recommend are causing these huge blood sugar spikes. And you can even look at a menu for someone with like gestational diabetes where they really need to be careful. And it's tons of refined carbohydrates and vegetable oils that are recommended in this diet. And the other reason why I know this to be true, Jen, is because there's a new study out and over 93% of individuals of United States American citizens, adults, have some degree of insulin resistance and metabolic dysfunction, mm-hmm. 93%. So only 7% of us are metabolically healthy. And it's no wonder because it's like those 7% who are really working hard on this. And I mean, I even tried, I feel like my story is probably maybe even a little bit more so relevant to your audience because everyone in your audience is probably more keen than the average consumer. They're saying, you know, I want to read the labels. I want to know what's in my food. I'm going to go out of my way to eat healthy. And I was doing that too for years. And I still was developing these issues because I didn't realize how foods were impacting my blood sugar. I wasn't looking at my diet through a blood sugar lens. And until I did that, I didn't find optimal health. I became healthier. I reversed a lot of things. So it is possible. But I personally had this blood sugar dysregulation going in. And then I was eating a paleo diet. And so my diet was heavily based around things like plantains and sweet potatoes and acai bowls and smoothies and coconut sugar and plantain chips and Lara bars. So everything was good ingredients, but I was heavily driven towards those sweet, sweet, high carb foods. And even though I was eating those and it was all real foods, I was still way overdoing it for my physiology. And so I thought it's healthy sugar, it's natural. So I didn't think it counted. I didn't think it mattered. Mm -hmm. And so for some people, it might not. For some people, they can probably do really well just eating whole foods. But for me, I really needed to make that extra focus. And that's really when things uh, really clicked for me. Awesome. So how does one get tested for this? Is this like a blood test? Is this a insulin test? What is this? So 
What I really recommend is getting a meter for yourself at home. You can get a finger prick meter that tests your glucose levels. And you can also get a continuous glucose monitor, which is going to give you so much great information. It's those little stickers that you put on the back of your arm. And that glucose monitor tests your glucose in real time. So glucose is blood sugar. And you can see the effects of your meals. You can see the effects of your workouts. The most surprising thing that a lot of people are shocked about, they're like, I had a fight with my spouse or I almost, you know, I had an argument or I had this really stressful meeting and my blood sugar spiked so much. And that's because when we have stressors that raises cortisol and cortisol liberates glucose into our bloodstream. So stress raises our blood sugar. And so we can look at the impact of things like not getting a good night's sleep, foods, drinks, stressors, exercise, things like that. We can look at those impacts in real time on our blood sugar so we can see how things affect us. We can also do this with that finger prick meter. And so some good numbers to get are your fasting glucose in the morning. So we generally want that number to be between about 70 to 85. And this is what a lot of doctors miss. So my blood sugar, when I went into the doctor, when I had PCOS was 60, which is very hypoglycemic. I was really dizzy. I felt like I was going to pass out. I just thought it was because I was a breakfast person (laughs) that I didn't like this fasting glucose, uh, fasting testing done, but it was really because my blood sugar was really low. So we went this 70 to 85 range upon waking, but doctors will look at it and say, oh, if you're under 100, you're fine, even if you're like 99. And then once you your fasting blood sugar gets to about 100, that's when your doctor might label you as pre-diabetic. But all this time, it was sort of building up. So they're not using functional ranges, what we call. They're using more of these traditional ranges. And it's hard because doctors don't have any tools that they can give you beforehand. So they would tell you maybe watch your diet and exercise. They don't really have anything to tell you within their paradigm. So I think that's probably why they don't, their tests are not as sensitive. And then if you see your blood sugar ticking up past that, then I would default to the ranges that the doctors use. And then over 126 fasting would be considered type two diabetic. But then we also really want to look at what's happening after a meal. And this is what the doctors don't test for. So one snapshot in time from the doctor is not really enough to tell us what's happening. So it's like watching a movie, but you just get one photograph of it. It's like, I don't know what happened. So it's the same thing with our blood sugar. We really need to look at how it's behaving after a meal. So ideally, we don't want our blood sugar to go up more than 30 points at a meal. Also, if you're outside the the U.S., just divide any number I'm saying by 18 to get the millimoles. So I'm talking with milligrams per deciliter. So I just wanted to leave that in case some of your followers are a little confused here. So we don't want it to rise more than 30 points at a meal because after that, it will start to be very inflammatory for the body. It can drive oxidative stress. So we want to keep our blood sugar from spiking too much. We don't want it flatlined either because that would mean we're dead. So it's normal that we're going to have these small fluctuations in blood sugar. So I don't want people to be getting these meters and be like, my blood sugar moved a little bit. Like I can't ever have a drop of a gram of carbs again. It's not that we can handle some little bits. 
And then we want to see it come down within two hours of eating. But we really want to look at if you have that finger prick meter, you want to look at what's happening maybe every 20 minutes after you eat that meal. So take your blood sugar before the meal and then every 20 minutes after the meal for about two hours, not just one point after two hours, because it could have spiked to 200 and come back down, or it could have just, you know, gone up 10 points and come back down. So that is really empowering information to learn about yourself, because then you can start to work with it and modify and say, oh, wow, I ate this meal. And you can start correlating it with your symptoms. So you can say, I ate this meal that I always eat for lunch, and I got my typical afternoon crash, and I had to go eat a muffin and coffee from the break room. And oh my goodness, I realized that when I was having that crash of energy and I was feeling moody and tired, it was because my blood sugar was dropping. So then you can change your lunch around. So maybe instead of a sandwich, you bring something else. You take the bread off the sandwich and you try you know, something else. Bring in some salmon and some vegetables and some avocado or, and some berries or something. You get this really nice meal that keeps you satiated. And this time maybe you won't have a crash. So it allows you to learn these personal insights because not everyone reacts to foods the same way. And there are certain factors that impact how we react to the same exact foods. So if we didn't get a good night of sleep, we're going to have more insulin resistance the next day and our blood sugar numbers are going to look worse. So if we did a really hard exercise, we might have no blood sugar response from a meal that has carbohydrates in it because we just depleted all that glycogen that stored glucose from our muscles. So then it just fills it right back up. Or we may have gone on a walk or done some exercise after our meal and saw that, wow, my blood sugar didn't go up at all because I just utilized all that sugar that I put into the system. So there's so many variations, even hormones. So the week before your menstrual cycle, we're a little bit more insulin resistant. So we might see our numbers go a little bit wonky during that time. So the idea is this personalization when it comes to blood sugar is the most important thing. And that's what testing from home allows you to do. Yeah. You can also also ask your doctor for a fasting insulin test because doctors do not test for this. Even if you ask, they may refuse. You can do it from certain labs like at home. And with those numbers, it's not a hundred percent decided on even with Dr. Ben Bickman, who is like the king of insulin. There's no exact numbers, but generally speaking, five and under would be ideal for insulin. But that's a different thing than the glucose. The glucose is the sugar. The insulin is the hormone. So you can go out of your way to get that tested as well, because sometimes you can have perfect blood sugar, but the insulin can be creeping up for years before we see a change in our glucose numbers. So that would be another really important thing to test. Awesome. Okay. I know that you had mentioned, you know, you can have a clean eating journey or a clean eating lifestyle, but to get personalized to you, because we all absorb glucose sugar differently. That's the importance of the glucose monitor. And I actually have a whole section of that inside of my Clean Eating Academy course, because I'm like, hey, listen, you likely have stabilized your blood sugar levels a lot more by eating these better sugars, better oils, better flowers, better sweeteners, but to keep evolving and to become really in tune to how your body is absorbing this stuff, check out these glucose monitors. One of my favorite is actually Nutrisense. We have a code for $25 off. It's wake up. You can use that code wake up, but that is one of my favorites. So with that being said, Danielle, where can people find you and how can you help them? 
I am very active on Instagram. My handle is Danielle Hamilton Health, and my podcast is Unlock the Sugar Shackles. And I like to talk, as you can probably tell. And I help people in my program, Blood Sugar Mastery, that the next round launches in April. So we do a really deep dive on a holistic take on really dialing in your blood sugar levels, working on your digestion so you can digest and absorb all these healthy fats and proteins that you're going to be eating. And yeah, I have some new courses coming out as well, but Instagram's the best place. All right, everybody follow Danielle Hamilton Health on Instagram and check out her services to unlock your sugar, the shackle maybe that you're having. Also check out her podcast. And thanks so much, Danielle. I'm sure it's somebody listening, you have made awareness to potentially why they're feeling the way they are and how they can overcome it. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wake Up and Read the Labels. If you like this episode, guess what? We want you to share it. We'd love that. Share it with a friend and leave us a review. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or really wherever you're listening to your podcast. For more information, visit us at wakeupandreadthelabels.com. Hold up. 